Good afternoon and welcome to Sold with Updike Pugh. I'm Jeff Updike. And I'm Weston Pugh. And this is our 69th episode that we've been on the air. 69. Seems like only yesterday it was our first one. Yeah. Here we are. Seems like only yesterday it was like, <laughs> well, we're here. It was it was rocky at first, but I think that I feel like at least we get better each time. That is true. That it's, is true. It gets a little more comfortable and a little less frantic. I, you know. We know what we're talking about, so that was half the battle, but it's you know, like you know what they sharing say? it to everybody <laughs> at one time. Fake it till you make it. That's right. <laughs> well, we've got a very great show today, and we kind of want to start off by talking about um, this week, Jeff and I were um, sat down and heard a discussion by the president of the Oakland Committee. Mm -hmm. And it was a very interesting discussion where they talk a lot about what's happening inside that area. And that area, you want to tell everybody what that area kind of defi is defined by? Yeah, um, Oak, uh, Oaklawn itself is a, is, was one of the first uh, uh, PDs that was put in place. And it is defined uh, on the north side by Inwood Road, goes all the way down to uh, I think all the way down to Woodall Whoa. Rogers, all the way over to Central Expressway on the eastern side, and um, uh, over to Harry Hines. Harry, um, or is it six thirty-five? It's actually thirty-five on on that side. So it's a really large planned planned development or public development area that uh, the city has a lot of control over. You know, it's yeah. in the flight path of Love Field. It's got all of Uptown. It's got all of Victory Park. It uh, has all you know that old Knox Park area. Yeah. So really a good sized uh, section of the city that's under under careful watch. Yep, and it was a really good discussion um, on uh, on this. Uh, we learned that Turtle Creek seems to have a lot of things that are gonna be coming up. Mm -hmm. um, we were really um, excited to hear that the Mandarin Oriental Hotel mm -hmm. is scheduled to be there. <laughs> Um, that there's also talk of the Waldorf Astoria picking mm -hmm. up because I think that the Four Seasons um, kind of blocks that out. The, uh, there was another um, hotel that kind of locked out, so they were really trying to go towards this. And it mm -hmm. seems like that because of the um, anchor of the convention center, a lot more of these hotels have really shown interest. Yeah, that and that was the uh, you know a lot of the the reason that the Convention Visitors Bureau said we didn't we weren't picking up bigger mm -hmm. hotels as we did or excuse me conventions was. We didn't have enough hotel rooms, right. and um, it, it's interesting. It's a kind of an interesting mix to me. It, it, we're, I feel like we're kind of getting toward the end of that, you know, that super positive real estate cycle, and we're still seeing all of these big projects that are being announced, and people are buying land like crazy. Yes. I mean, people, they're, that part of the market is very real and very happening. But you know, if you've been if you've been in Dallas long enough, you realize we go through the ups and downs mm -hmm. like everybody else does, and. So the, I'm sure that, you know, half of the 26 tower projects that we heard about will probably never see the light of day, but. Or not in this cycle. Yeah. Sure. Not, and not, maybe not in this cycle, yeah. but uh, it's interesting. Well, it could be a big change in Oakland in the next 10 years. A lot, a lot. And if you are watching, watch the corner of um, Cedar Springs and Lemon. That's going to be a lot of discussions coming up on that one right now. Um, and that kind of segues into, as you and I were driving around um, three very distinct neighborhoods mm -hmm. uh, across Dallas as we toured the homes that we're going to talk about today, we really noticed that there was a lot of construction coming in. Yeah, there's a lot of infill construction going mm -hmm. on where uh, it's it's – it, there's a lot of spec construction going on. There's a lot of custom construction going on. There's a lot of uh, uh, infill in, uh, go, happening in neighborhoods where they're really moving the price point from one price point to another, and it's almost always up. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the housing in some neighborhoods that we see 
where they've got you know fairly decent sized lots maybe two tenths of an acre the you know the the little cottage house that was on it before has really kind of peaked out in value right and, and now it's land and, and now the the land value is caught up with that and uh builders are starting to well they're continuing to tear down the in those neighborhoods and they'll build you know kind of that formula is two and a half times what the lot value was that's what you need to be able to sell the end product for so if you've got a $400,000 lot, you've got to build something that's going to sell a, like a, a million one or a million two to be able to have the economies work. Yep. And I think that we've seen quite a bit of that, even on tour, um, this kind of segues and says, you know, on tour, we saw quite a bit of uh, homes that were actually already spec'd, which mm -hmm. is really interesting that they've got their spec homes ready right now on mm -hmm. the market. Yeah. So it'll be a very interesting spring. We're excited um, to bring you uh, the next round. We are back, and one of the exciting things that we have planned for the second segment is a, is a show of firsts. And, and we are so excited because we have, for the first time ever, um, an author, a horticulturalist, um, a researcher, all wrapped up into one. And we're so excited. This is Leslie Halleck that we have on the show. Everybody. How's Thank it going? You. Thanks for having me on today. We are so excited. Um, we were actually referred to Leslie by Mike Bosco, who's been on the show yeah, multiple times, yeah. and he said you would be great. Um, and he pointed us in the direction, and we were able to coordinate with Jill, mm -hmm. and uh, she was able to make yeah. this happen Jill's awesome. Jill's my account manager. She's fantastic. She's also a horticulturist. Okay. So we have a good little team duo of horticulturists here in, in Dallas. Well, it, you, it was an easy, I was like, all right, here we go. We're about to run this. And um, one of the things that I was really excited about is as reading through your blog spot, um, you're not just uh, a plant enthusiast. No. No. You actually have done research um, at the Arboretum. Um, I believe a lot of your education is um, started in art, you said, but then transitioned into the horticulture. Yeah. So I started out an art major, you I know, which that. many of us do, was going to be an artist <laughs> my whole life. But the great thing is that horticulture and art tend to go very hand in hand. Okay. So there's obvious, obviously we deal in a lot of beauty and aesthetics in horticulture mm -hmm. uh, and growing plants. So they merge really well. So I switched over to botany okay. um, after a couple of years and started working at an independent garden center. So uh, it's been about 27 years in the industry. And I, I have a degree in botany, a, degree in, a master's degree in horticulture from Michigan State. And I have worked in plant research, botanical gardens, landscape design build, garden center retail, you name it. I've, I've kind of run the gamut. So, so I have a foundation in plant science research and mm -hmm. horticulture, and then have spent a career working in the industry. And right. you also worked at North Haven Gardens for a long time. Yeah, I was the general manager there for eight years. And wow. not there now, but right. a good friend of mine um, is the general manager now. So it was obviously quite a shock to see yeah. it get completely devastated in the tornadoes. But, you know, this is, is Dallas. We have some extreme weather here to deal with. And that was an example of that. <laughs> that it is. And speaking of extreme weathers, it was it, we um, met up today and uh, talked about how wonderful we've had some great days. And today it seems like it's so rainy mm -hmm. and you said well you know now is the season to really start thinking about your spring you know yeah and i was like is it really time to start taking about my spring garden? It is, actually. And I said we had a couple of really glorious gardening yeah. days the last few days. But, you know, it's a little rainy and cold. It's January. It's, it's allowed January. to be. But it's a great time for indoor gardening, right? So indoor gardening time, January. If you want to grow tomatoes, if you want to get your edible garden going, now is the time you're actually going to start tomato transplants indoors. So if you want to start your own seeds, we have a short spring in Texas. It gets hot early. 
I know tomatoes are a tropical plant, and that confuses everybody, but they don't actually like the heat. So you've got to get them going early. So January is like seed catalog time and indoor seed starting time. And you can also direct seed cool season crops again right now. Lettuce, spinach, greens. Yeah, so we have a 12-month growing season here. You grow cool season crops in the winter, warm season crops in the summer. So there's a lot of action that, that you can take indoor and outdoor in your in your garden right now. So I so here's I, my dad used to always want to just put um, the little green onions in. Yeah, January. But he would never go in January, right. and he would always cuss that they had <laughs> right. run out. He he always thought right. it was their fault for not stocking enough. Well, it's a short planting window. So we have a 12-month growing season, but we have extreme climates. Okay. And, and so the temperature swings are extreme. And so mm-hmm. that gives us very small planting windows for certain things. January to early February is onion slips, right? So the little green onions that right. you buy. you got to plant those in January. February, asparagus, rhubarb, that kind of stuff. Potatoes, they go in the ground. But you have a really short window to get them planted because it gets hot so quickly and they won't produce. So, okay. So when my grandparents had a working garden, they would always, and you're saying this and it's coming back to me because (laughs) they all had tin cans that were on the side of the garden. And in the evenings, if they knew it was going to freeze, they would run and tin can the entire thing. Right. So you keep frost cloth on hand, frost cloth cloth in Dallas. So, so I plant my tomatoes out like the third week of February. Because I'm a professional and I know what I'm doing, <laughs> right? I know what I'm doing. Right. But the earlier you can get them in the ground, the better so that you can avoid heat delay. When it gets too hot, they're not going to set fruit. So you plant them out a little on the early side and you cover them if we're going to get a hard frost. That's a trick that you can use to bump up your harvest in the spring. So what would, what is, okay, so hard frost, what does yeah. that mean? Below freezing. 32 degrees and and below, but we can get down to 10 degrees here. Uh And so generally when we're in that 32, 33 range, a lot of stuff is is fine uncovered. But once you start getting down into say 27, 26 degrees and you start heading towards the mid twenties, that's when you're going to start to see some damage. Not on your winter crops, spinach, lettuce, greens, that kind of stuff, perfectly fine. Hmm. But if you are Getting to the late winter, early spring, and you're going to put out tender tropicals like peppers and tomatoes, mm-hmm. they're the ones that are going to get damaged by a hard frost. Interesting. Yeah. I like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, one of the other things, too, that I was reading that you did is you are also um, a consultant and a keynote speaker quite often. Yes. And you really help people um, – can I say undo <laughs> yeah. what they might have done? Sure. So <laughs> so my business is sort of three-pronged, okay. right? Um I do. Um, I work with green industry, industry companies, All right. and so I, I help them communicate with customers and, and do marketing and do horticultural consulting and all those sorts of things. I write books for the consumer to teach them how to garden, and, and then I also do horticulture consulting for, say, commercial properties or residences or greenhouse growers that really need an expert to come in and say, hey, what's going right here? What's going wrong, and how do I fix it? Often on residential properties, I call myself the fixer. <laughs> and so often I'm the one that delivers that bad news that you don't want to hear about why your landscape doesn't look great. You spent mm-hmm. all this money, you're spending all this money on maintenance, but it doesn't look the way you want it mm-hmm. to. That's because you need a plant engineer on the job. We were talking I about that. I love that word. I love that right. word. So as a, as a horticulturist, I'm mm-hmm. the person who really understands how plants work. 
you know, where they're going to grow, where they're not going to grow, how to maintain them, what the right plant is, right. all the pests and disease issues. So I usually come in as the fixer mm -hmm. to uh, realign the maintenance practices and tweak that landscape so that we have the right plants in the right place with the right maintenance practices so that... You know, you don't just have um, a landscape that's limping along. You have yeah. a landscape that's thriving and looks beautiful mm -hmm. without, you know, spending money you shouldn't or, or putting inputs into that landscape that you don't need to. And, you know, it was interesting because um, Jeff and I actually had a house that was on Better Drive and it was a new construction um, with a noted architect. But they had actually they had to have hired a horticulturist because the concept of the of the front yard and the backyard was that it was native mm -hmm. drought resistant and that it had the ability to bloom all year long and i have to tell you that that house went under contract as fast as we've seen them yeah. and it also got one of the top dollars price per square foot in the neighborhood and everybody wanted to know what it right. was and i really don't think that it was just one thing i mean yes the house looked amazing but i think that the house in and of itself was a complete package from curb right to rafter, everything made sense. Your landscape adds an immense amount of value, perception and yep. literal, literally and figuratively adds value to your property. And it's really obvious when you've made the right plant choices mm -hmm. and you're taking care to maintain plants correctly. You have to know plants, what works here, what doesn't, and right. how to grow and maintain them with the least amount of maintenance and inputs that, that you want to right. invest, right? And that's the trick. So you really have to know plants and horticulture and long-term maintenance to understand how to make that happen. Right. And not just look good once you've installed it. You want that's it to easy. look good five, six, seven years later. And yeah. it's an ongoing it's an ongoing investment of time. Gardens and landscapes are not static. They're not a set it and forget it. So even though you've planted it, you're going to have to do ongoing care. That is an interesting way to put it because I think that so many people think that just because they have a landscape um, company that comes mm -hmm. out and mows and edge and blows, right. that they are done, that they've right. done their work. And that's <laughs> like, that's not even the tip of the iceberg. So I, I don't want to offend anybody here, but <laughs> I have a term, um, a lot of the mow and blow that's just really basic cleaning. I, I call that outdoor janitorial services because technically that's sense. what it is. You're just keeping things clean. Yeah. You're, you're just keeping it clean. You don't necessarily um, address the, 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 the cultivation and care needs of the actual plants in the landscape. Right. So you do have to go one step further and really understand the soil, understand the plant needs, understand how to feed both the soil and the plants. So it does go beyond just mowing and blowing. So if that's what you're doing and you don't like the look of your landscape, we need to take one step further right. and really look at the care of the plants in your landscape. And I think it was so critical as um, you and I were talking before, and you were talking about not an enthusiast, but an actual licensed professional. Right. Research, horticulture, degrees. Right. These are things that really lend themselves. And, you know, I, I'm guilty of killing many, <laughs> maybe a yard. Um, but I think that it's important for us to stop and, uh, you know, have a kind of a new theory, um, cry once, don't cry a bunch of times, and spend the money up front right. and really enjoy what you spent your money on. Right. So, so cultivating a lush landscape, uh, it, it depends on your goals, obviously. Different people have different aesthetics mm -hmm. and you have different goals for your landscape, but it's important to define that at the get-go so that you're spending your money wisely. Correct. And not only that, but understand the ongoing care that is going to truly be required yeah. for a landscape because it really is painful when you have to essentially spend it all over again because it really wasn't done right the yeah. first time. Yep. For sure. Well, this has been a great conversation that we've had. And I have one more conversation sure. for you. Um, 
Everybody knows that I love to buy orchids, <laughs> and I cannot, for the life of me, figure out once everything falls. Right. Like, what do I do with that thing? I want to like make it. Can I make right. it come back to life? So, so number one, you're allowed to throw it in the compost if you want. You, you're, you're, <laughs> <laughs> I know you're allowed. I'm absolving you of green guilt, right? You can okay. buy a new plant and start over again, right? Uh, if you want to rebloom your orchids and you want to propagate, certainly. What? What's that? Plant parenting, right? So you can <laughs> check out my books, Gardening Under Lights and Plant Parenting, if you want to figure out how to do that yourself. So Weston, you you can get my books and you can do that. But I'm also telling you, you have permission to throw it away and start over. As a professional horticulturist, I've killed far more plants than you ever will in your entire lifetime, right? That's Does my that's, job. That's, that's amazing. My job. I will it's tell okay. you. It's is okay. it okay? It's you okay. absolve me in my green guilt. It's okay. I love that. Well, I have to tell you one last confession. I will actually take and buy a fake orchid <laughs> and stick it in the plant just because I feel so bad about that plant camp. Make it. You know what? That's okay. You're okay. allowed to do that too. Whatever makes you happy, okay. but you're also allowed to go buy a new one. You, I feel so much better. If nothing else, you've heard it here plant. first. Absolved of Green Guild. Yes. I love that. Yes. Leslie, thank you so much for coming on the show. It has been wonderful. You've been a great information. Inside of the comments, you'll be able to see information about her website, blog, how to order her books. And if you need her to come out there and help you, she is more than happy to. She has the service all set up. It has been wonderful. And uh, that was a great segment. That really was. I really enjoyed meeting her and, you know, to just she had such great information. It was wonderful. And there are books here that we will have links and you can go take a look and get these. Absolutely. So anything else? I think that's a wrap. I think it is. Thank you for joining us today. And remember, we want to be realtors for life.